Hello, assalamualaikum everybody. Hope you're all safe, sound and healthy. And I'm back. And today you might be hearing a lot of noises in the background, though I hope not, because this time I'm using my noise cancellation mic uh, on my laptop as opposed to the um, recent, um, you know, usage of my mobile for a quick um, reporting. Well, there's no light. I mean, this is the incompetence of the army that claims that this was the institution that led Imran Khan's government by the hand like a toddler to, uh, you know, to sort of work for the country and, and to determine all the positive factors that Imran Khan ever made towards this country. Yeah, we can see. We can see that you're behind him by the very fact that as soon as his government was ousted, we are having load shedding. We are having now load shedding, not just of electricity, but also gas. Yeah. Kudos, man. Kudos. Yeah, we can see how efficient you were as an institution leading Imran Khan's government by the hand like a toddler, teaching him the basics of how to govern a state. Yeah, we can see that. Why don't you show us your prowess in governing the state right now? Yeah. Where is all that prowess now? Please just display it already because it's dead winter. It's so cold. It's so freaking cold that it gets seven degrees at night. And during the daytime, you're lucky if it goes up to 15 degrees. So today's supposed to be a lucky day that we're at 15 degrees right now. And yet there is no light. You have your scheduled load shedding where you have no light from morning 8 a.m. And it is right now 2.15 p.m. and there's still no light. Those of us who have solar, well, we are, we are surviving. We're okay. But the others who don't have solar, imagine what their life is like. Because now you've done load shedding of gas as well. Yeah, so in winter when you need gas, that is when they decide that you shouldn't have gas. In the summers when you need electricity, they decide you shouldn't have electricity. Now in the winters, you don't have electricity and you don't have gas. And it's all deliberate. Remember, there is no shortage of gas in Pakistan. Why? Because in Pakistan, we have gas and natural gas reserves that are worth 200 years. And we haven't even exploited most of it. We haven't even exploited most of it, right? So this is why we have minimum 200 years worth of natural gas. And then we have petroleum, which we have almost never exploited thanks to America, thanks to Nawaz Sharif giving tenders to American companies to explore petroleum. And then American government suddenly, as soon as they find petroleum, suddenly the American government hammers it on them that no, close it all down. And they close it all down. And one would wonder, since when did private companies listen to the American government as opposed to um, the client who was actually paying them for the exploratory stuff, you know, for the exploitation of resources? That is really something one needs to think about. Talk about freedom. It seems that in America, nobody's free. America touts itself to be the leader of the free world. I mean, do you even know the meaning of freedom? Your own people are not free. Your own people are not free. I mean, you're controlling your social media as well, telling them who to trade with, who not to trade with. Social media is also controlled. I mean, look at Facebook. You have no privacy on Facebook. Why? Because Mark suddenly decides that, you know, yeah, it's safer to stay with the government. It's safer to give everything to the government um, and so that they can access anybody and everybody's profile and even, you know, add to their profile, hack their profile, do anything. And now he's, you know, that wasn't enough that he's, uh, he's got Instagram as well. 
So, and now, again, Mark wasn't enough, now you've got YouTube. Now, YouTube is also working on censorship policies where as soon as there is any content in which 9-11 charade or the drama or the American government or the CIA is mentioned in such a way that might be disagreeable to the American government, your content is suddenly removed for hate speech. Now, that is so weird that when you're talking about history and when you're talking about current affairs and when you're talking about something that is actually on the record, then it is hate speech. But the Jews and the Americans who are spewing nonsense and using actual hate speech against Palestine or those who are using actual hate speech against Muslims, creating Islamophobic, the whole Islamophobic um, you know, terror around within their people and around the world, you're actually thinking that that is not hate speech, yeah? So the Jewish people, the American centers and ministers who are literally, literally using abusive, hate-incited language towards Muslims and towards Palestinians, that is freedom of expression, right? But when, and when somebody is talking about the actual atrocities being committed by the Jews on Palestinian land, and when the fact that a, a director of a certain department of a certain university in the USA uh, publishes a material in which he calls the Jews in, is, in Palestine, the Israeli Jews in Palestine, colonial, violent colonial settlers, oh, suddenly that is marked as hate speech and that is used against the nominee Adil Mungi, you know, when Senator Cruz and the other idiot whose name I do not even bother to remember because to me he is worth less than even the dirt on my shoe and uh, he was constantly harassing Adil Mangi about you know how Adil Mangi has a moral you know responsibility and a moral standing where he has to say yes or no as to whether he agreed on that director's publication just because he happened to have been in the advisory board or committee of that department and also, I have a problem with Adil Mangi. First of all, let's address the, the name. I mean, that shows our mainstream media in Pakistan, the fact that they are so useless that they can't even get a name right. I mean, it wasn't enough that Geo News and Express and other channels, it wasn't enough that they got the picture wrong of Tariq Jamil's son when he died, when he passed away, and they were showing... Uh, and uh, another person who shared the same name, they were showing his picture and claiming his death. Imagine what went through him and uh, through his mind, through his parents' mind, through his family, you know, that they had to see his picture and a live kicking man in United Arab Emirates, a CEO of a company, they're seeing his picture and, the, and you know, underneath it, the article that he has passed away when it was actually Tariq Jamil's son who had passed away. They couldn't even get that right. That wasn't enough that they actually went and got Adil Monkey's name wrong, right? So Adil Mangi became Adil Monkey with a QI. And so everybody now started wondering, okay, so Adil Monkey, what name is that? We've never heard that name. Okay, let's try. And you have Express and you have Geo. And the only person that actually got the name right was Dawn News. Well, thank you very much for keeping a little bit of your integrity, although I doubt a whole lot of your integrity as well, considering the kind of articles you tend to publish. But yes, okay, so I can call you a sort of a, you know, uh, a hypocritical uh, news outlet. That's what I would call Dawn, because, you know, sometimes they still try to show that they have some dignity, but at least they get they are getting their names right. At least they still know how to investigate or do their research to at least get a name right. Now, that out of the way, um, I now would go on to talk about 
the reasons why I'm talking about this because as you know or may not know, um, I do upload my podcast on YouTube for those people who still are not actually sure as to what a podcast is and you know how you go about following a podcaster and stuff. And they're so used to using the YouTube platform for, you know, all their wants and needs. So because of them, because of those subscribers, because of those friends and fellows and all, I do tend to upload my podcast on YouTube. And then suddenly, after almost a year of having that content sit on my YouTube, um, suddenly YouTube decides that it has hate speech and it removes it. And the, the timestamp that they showed saying that this this is the timestamp that displays hate speech. That was when I was talking about how a senator had actually, uh, you know, uh, gone to court, taking the 9-11 case, charging the then President Bush, you know, on the whole conspiracy. And now he was threatened when he did it. He was threatened by the judge himself. But I hadn't even mentioned the fact that he was threatened by the judge. I was just sort of recapping because this is a subject that I've touched in so many episodes of my podcast. Why is it that only on this episode um, of my podcast did they suddenly decide that this would be hate speech? Well, obviously, it's because somebody reported um, it, maybe. And again, who would report it? Um, it would be our, you know, illegal um, government's touts and minions that they have, you know, sort of sprayed around on, the, on social media and their only task and job is to report any content on YouTube that talks about the truth as opposed to the narrative that they are trying to spread. So, for example, you know, they, together with the international media, are basically trying to keep mum about the fact that there is a lot of resistance in Pakistan. There is a lot of aggression from the public of Pakistan against, or sorry, two words you can say, um, both America for its interference with Pakistan and our illegal government, which brings us to this point again, where um, because uh, this is something also that sort of annoys me in a way, because listen, we all know that the cipher case against the prime minister, the ex prime minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan, is a bogus case. We know that it, these are trumped up charges. We know that they legally do not even have a standing. We know that if this was any other country, the judge would have thrown out the case right from the start. But obviously, nobody's following the law. Remember, the whole point here is that we are calling the illegal government because it has illegally taken over the seats in the government. And we're calling the establishment illegal and traitors. We're calling the army traitors. Why? Because they have betrayed the state. They're calling themselves the state, but they've forgotten that they're servants of the state. They're representatives of the state. We, the people, are the state. Okay? And why are they doing this? Why are they so blatantly disregarding the constitution and the legal framework of the country? It's because they're basically announcing it to you that Pakistan is no longer a sovereign state, that, that the, the process of selling Pakistan to the U.S., of putting Pakistan under the U.S. colony, of putting Pakistan under the U.S. slavery, that that whole process has finally reached completion in their books. In their books, that process has reached completion. And that is why they're going around, like, as we know, there is it is always the traitors from amongst you that will wreak the most havoc and that will do the most damage. These are facts. These are hardcore facts. Just look at history. Throughout history, no country has ever been invaded without traitors from within, without fifth columnists. Even Germany used fifth columnists within France and Britain to get their stuff done. 
and they were placed in very highly, uh, you know, in very high strategic posts in the government and in the law enforcement agencies and especially in the intelligence. And that is the same thing here in Pakistan. Remember, I've kept on and on talking about how there are two factions. There are always two factions in any establishment or any institution in any country. Okay, and those factions are constantly um, at war or at, at a friction with each other. Okay, and we saw the upper hand finally of the pro-Pakistani, pro-sovereign state faction of the intelligence and the establishment communities when Imran Khan was finally put in as prime minister, as the actually elected prime minister, but the other factions, the pro-US, the pro-slavery, the pro-colony, the traitorous, you know, or the treacherous factions, they again, you know, toppled everything up. Why? Because they did not allow them to have full control or full power. And they made sure to rig the elections in such a way that Imran Khan could remain as prime minister, but he could not get his two-thirds majority, which is important in the in the placement of our parliament you need to have two-thirds majority to get any work done and they ensured that he would not have the two-thirds majority so that they could keep on working against him and working against the state as per u.s guidelines and now the intercept suddenly two days ago on the 18th um they published this other article in which they talk about how um a report from the isi sent to the foreign office uh, upon query by the Foreign Office, um, you know, uh, regarding the cipher case and the leakage of this case, uh, sorry, the leakage of the document, the actual document, encrypted or otherwise, as to whether it would compromise the integrity of the Foreign Office. And it was categorically, um, uh, you know, it was basically ca categorically stated by the ISI in its report that no, this is not at all what we would consider a leakage of a confidential document. And this would not in any way compromise the integrity of, um, you know, of the Foreign Office. So uh, when you when the Intercept suddenly again comes with this article, because remember, it was the Intercept's article on the leaked, uh, the allegedly leaked document that, you know, created the whole fuss. And uh, first of all, our army denied that there was any such communication and there was any such cipher sent by Donna Lou. And then, you know, um, so that is also, again, you know, that, that is that is uh, the paradox here, that on one side, the army has denied it and the, the illegal government, um, the imported government, the U.S. imported government and the caretaker, the illegal caretaker government, because, hello, caretaker governments have a lifespan of just a few months and they're just sitting here and they're doing all the work that an actual elected government is supposed to do, um, which is actually not a This is this is this is uh, an authority that is not given to a caretaker government and they're taking and using and abusing all that authority. So. According to all these illegal institutions in Pakistan that are set up by the American and the British, um, these institutions claimed that there was no such cipher. And then they put a case on Imran Khan claiming that he leaked the cipher. You need to decide. This is something, again, I said a long time ago when it first started. You need to decide. Is there a case or isn't there a case? Is there a cipher or isn't there a cipher? Stick to whichever way it is. Why? 
Um, this is again something that even the lawyers communicated with the judge that, okay, so first you said that there is no such document. And now you're saying that, oh, he leaked the document. So does the document exist or not? And so they had to um, accept the fact that yes, the document exists because without that, there was no case. Now, as we know, the judge is also biased. He's an unqualified judge who has not been given this post based on merit. No, he has been put in, parachuted into this post um, because he is, again, uh, a, uh, a minion of Nawaz Sharif, Shabazz Sharif and the army. So here we have it. The Intercept again suddenly decides to talk about how that report um, from the ISI to the Foreign Office uh, proves that there is no leak and that there is no confidentiality problems or issues here and that there is no breakage of uh, secrecy act in any case and obviously again remember even if there was to be such an act the prime minister is the person who decides whether or not something is supposed to be confidential or not he's the highest authority if the highest authority has decided that this for national interests needs to be exposed then there, that is it. He cannot be questioned, remember? He is the highest authority. So as the highest authority, as the prime minister, he decided to talk about this cipher, which was his right. Again, as I said, he is the authority on whether uh, a letter sent regarding him should be confidential or not. You remember, you need to also understand that he's not a third party. He is the actual victim here. He is the concerned party. He is the party that the American was trying to oust. So the America, the American establishment is party A and Imran Khan was party B. And in fact, party C that has no right to talk about it are the American minions, be they the army, be they the um, establishment, be they Nawashri, be they Zardari, be they the judges, be they the courts, actually none of them have the right to talk about it because the, the directly concerned parties are parties A and B. And this is, again, basics. Basics of contract law and basics of any law as such. Basics of common sense, which obviously nobody has. So again, you know, the intercept brings this in. So now again, everybody's getting all excited saying that, oh, you know, the, but again, again, my problem is you people keep on getting excited because you think that common sense still prevails in this country. Let me remind you, please. This country has gone to the dogs. Your very establishment is illegal right now. Okay. Your very establishment is right now illegal. They're traitors. Your very army has gone rogue. Okay, your judiciary system has been hijacked. Your caretaker government is illegal. When the actual managers of the state are not those who they're supposed to be, they're not your representatives, they are people who have come and hijacked your country. How on earth do you think they're going to follow the law? Are they pretending to follow the law? Are they making any such display that they're following the law, the constitution of Pakistan? What is wrong with you people? The whole point is that they're not following the law. They're breaking the law. They're creating their own laws as per, you know, just on the spur of the moment. And they're forcing people, blackmailing people, threatening people to enact those laws and those bills. 
which go against the very constitution of the country again telling you that you need to stop living in the illusion that pakistan is actually a sovereign state but that pakistan actually belongs to america which in turn belongs to britain remember america is not a free state either okay in america too the establishment is working on another plan on another agenda you know they're not working to enable america to be a successfully sovereign state so america is not a sovereign state either okay you need to get that illusion out of your heads right now america is in no way a free state and in no way is it the leader of the free world okay get that out of your heads so we have all this going on and then we have people getting excited again you know so i mean that's why i'm here that's why i'm talking kindly do not get excited in fact if anything this should just be more proof you know of the fact that pakistan has been sold out and now you need to talk more about how pakistan needs to be brought back into our hands look again i'll remind you it was the army that was planted by the british and the main task of the army was to ensure that pakistan does not become a neutral powerful sovereign state and that is why the kashmir issue is also left there that conflict is left there to empower the army of pakistan why you would ask me did it not then make india empower their army that's because the conflict here is not uh within india per se as you see india is holding on to kashmir India has no problems there. It's already holding on to Kashmir. That is what Britain promised India before leaving. India was supposed to hold on to Pakistan as well as a buffer state, an autonomous state, but under India. That didn't happen. So India's conflict here is to put Pakistan back under its umbrella. Okay, which Qaidiyazm, before his death, although he was killed by the very army, that was planted by the british the very army that is now still interfering within pakistan that very army that is a traitor and a rogue institution that very army had two missions two tasks mainly to kill off anybody and everybody that could steer pakistan towards a sovereign state and completely independent powerful neutral state and to ensure that pakistan does not ever get out of the conflict zone okay and that is why the army in pakistan is empowered india has no such need india does not need to do anything to india you know that is why the army in india is not empowered because the promise was made with india they have a promise to keep with india okay so Qaidiyazm, you remember when in his first speech he said that, you know, that they are deceiving us and they are trying to trap us, but we're going to flip the tables, you know, in my words, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, so yeah, that is basically, you know, if you, if you have even the slightest bit of understanding then now of history and of what's going on now, then you would understand that, yeah, he was aware of the fact that they were going to cheat us out of an independent state by pretending to let us have an independent state. And he wasn't going to let them do it. So before his death, he did manage to set, you know, 
a framework and that is why it took them almost a hundred years i mean you know we're just 20 odd years short of a hundred years but it took them 70 plus years to completely put pakistan under the thumb of the u.s and in and you know again because although qaidi azam did not complete his task he was killed before he could do it then his sister was killed before she could do it then Ali khan was killed then Bhutto was killed. Now Imran Khan is in the in the you know in the queue, you know. Now it's his turn. You know, so Imran Khan and Shah Mahmud Qureshi, you know. And yeah, although I'm very skeptic about anybody from PPP and from PMLN joining PTI, because to me I feel that these people are never ever sincere with PTI, that especially when it's PMLN. But yes, the announcement of Latif Khosa to join PTI was not a, an old news to any of us who are actually aware of what's going on. This was something that was, you know, um, in the mix for about a few days. And yes, so yeah, on Sunday, he finally announced it, you know, out in the open officially that he was leaving PPP and joining PTI. Now, this is actually what I would call a huge blow. Yes, if anybody from Nawashi's party leaves and you know, claims to go independent or claims to join PTI, then I'm sorry, that person is, you know, that person is a turncoat and that person is a mole and that person is not to be trusted and that person needs to be kicked out and he should not be allowed to enter PTI. Nobody from Navashri's party should be allowed to enter PTI because remember, the reason why PTI is the way it is today is because it allowed those people from Navashri's party to join PTI. They're the ones that you know, basically cut down PTI's roots, okay? And they're the ones that destroyed PTI. They're the ones that destroyed the whole governance. Remember, they're the ones that worked from within to ensure that the government is ousted. So yeah, I would never, ever, ever accept anybody from Nawashi's party in PTI. But when it comes to PPP, again, I would never accept anybody except if it is somebody like Latif Kosa or somebody like Etzaz Essen. Remember, it was very hard for us to even accept Shah Mahmood Qureshi. We felt that Shah Mahmood Qureshi was definitely going to undermine Imran Khan and his party. Um, just like how the uh, veteran politicians that came to PTI from Nawashi's party did. Um, but... Just, you know, the way this man has proved himself, Shah Mahmood Qureshi proved himself uh, to be a veteran politician. He proved himself to be the, you know, original politician that People's Party ever produced. If you remember, Latif Kosa, Shah Mahmood Qureshi, Itzaz Essen, these are one of the, some of the oldest members of People's Party, some of the original members of People's Party. These are those people who work with Bhutto. So yes, they do have a standing. Why? Because these were people who came with a cause. Remember when Bhutto came, he came with a cause. These people joined him for that cause. They have always had, and these are highly, highly respected, highly qualified people. These are veterans in their fields. You see, these are all people who have something or the other to do with the constitution or the, the legal framework of the country. So these are people who will never allow, because these are original veteran politicians that stood for democracy and they stood for a state and they stood for a framework. So yeah, they would never allow anybody to challenge 
that framework, that that democratic framework, that constitutional framework, you know, that legal framework. They will never allow anybody to challenge that because to them, that is the the essence of any country's independence and sovereignty. So they will never allow anybody to challenge the sovereignty of the country. And this is why when these people make moves, then the world needs to sit up and take notice. Um, They're not just some small fry, you see. These are people who actually worked towards the enhancement of the Constitution. They worked towards the strengthening of the Constitution and the legal framework of this country. So, yeah, I mean, these people are those people who literally worked within the Constitution, for the Constitution, to strengthen the Constitution. So they are people who stand by a certain time-honored principle, you know, a certain time-honored belief. And they they will shift parties only if they find that their um, stance, you know, is no longer being represented by the party. You know, because as I said, PPP came with a certain specific agenda. When Bhutto, you know, came into power, he had one specific agenda in mind. It's true that he went through a lot of wrong ways to get that agenda. But his main agenda was, once again, the empowerment of Pakistan as an independent sovereign state. That is why he brought together scientists and he brought together great minds and he worked hard and he got the, you know, the nuclear power project, uh, you know, started. And then he worked for, you know, he was actually the one who challenged Israel, you know, against Palestine by downing their jets. So, you know, he was leading Pakistan out of the, you know, uh, British colonialism and the slavery. And that is why. He was ultimately killed using the law because he there was there was a lot to use against him. He had a lot of weaknesses, you know. So and he made a lot of wrong decisions and mistakes. But there was there is no question as to his agenda and his actual plan for Pakistan. Even though he went so power drunk as to actually uh, divide Pakistan and you know and cause a war a rift between Bangladesh and Pakistan and Bangladesh was then a part of Pakistan and it was because of him and because he thought that only he could do what he needed to do so I guess you could say here he acted more like a dictator and he thought that no I need to take full control and full power over Pakistan in order to get my agenda done you know so he made a lot of huge mistakes Right. And that is uh, that is how he got caught into all of this. That's how he got trapped. And that is how he was easily killed. Again, they used a biased judge. Remember, they used a judge that actually had a personal grudge against him, which is totally illegal. But again, you see, illegal using a judge to abuse his authority. That judge was not qualified. That judge should have recused himself. But because he had a personal grudge against Bhutto, that is why he was used to judge Bhutto's case. And the same thing is going on now with Imran Khan is that they have put their own judges in place to ensure that Imran Khan does not get a fair trial. And the judges are very openly, very blatantly breaking the law. Remember, Imran Khan is not some two-bit, you know, 
person who just came out of the slums. Imran Khan belongs to a very good family background as well. And he has, he is a qualified man. He's actually a qualified politician and he is actually qualified enough to defend himself and to talk about his case because he knows the law. He knows politics. That is what he has been doing. That is, that is what he's qualified to do. To, to actually try to fool such a man, you know. And, and again, because they know they cannot fool him. So this is why they're using illegal means. Okay, they're using illegal means just to get their work done to ensure that he does not get out of jail. And all, yes, I know that now finally his sons have uh, decided to take action. And remember, his wife also belongs to an extremely powerful family in the West. And this is a man who refused to take over the constituency of his father-in-law. He refused to take over his business. He refused to, you know, um, get anything from that family because of his dignity, because of his honesty. And that is that dignity, that self-respect, that honesty with which he is right now standing there and refusing to leave the country because America and is telling its minions to make a deal with him that he should just leave the country. And he's refusing to do that because it goes against his very principles. This is what he's always been talking about. He's been talking about how people very conveniently run away from the country when things get tough. And then from behind the scenes, they work out plans and deals and illegally come back into this country and try to rule over us. So why was he, why on earth were you going to do the same thing? I seriously hope to God that these people who are making such a racket outside that you don't get to listen to them while I'm already pretty much peed off as I speak because it has been four days now or is it three days it seems like a week to me that these people have been just banging and hammering and drilling and you know I don't know what kind of a renovation is going on all I can tell you is that every single weekend they have something to do and sometimes it ends during the weekend and sometimes it goes on throughout the month and then you don't even get to rest for another month before they again suddenly come up with some other construction or renovation work. Seriously, it's never ending. Again, why? Because this is a country where there's no law and order. Anybody can do anything regardless of whatever other people are getting disturbed about. So those countries who took our Islamic framework, our Islamic legal, social framework and political framework and have used that to make their country civilized and to make their people follow law and order they have ensured that countries like ours should stay away from law and order that there should be no law and order and that we should always end up as banana republic so that we should always end up in slavery and this is why also the americans are so hyped up about you know um inciting wars and about having a world war, the British as well, mind you, the British, European countries, you know, they have learned to stay in the background so that they can have the deniability code, you know, so that they can simply say, oh, we do, we were not part of it, we don't know anything, but they are actually a part of it. They're very much involved in everything that's going on. America is just the, you know, um, their face, you can say. So, yeah, so now America, Britain, and Europe, you know, they're, they're just egging towards another world war. And they're so stupid again, I would say, because they do not realize that contrary to their beliefs, this world war is actually what is going to destroy them.
they cannot afford this war. But since they're so insistent on having it, okay, let them have a go. The fact that they think that it is freedom of speech to dehumanize their victims, the fact that their people, their public are so stupid that they actually think that they have control over their governments, you know, when actually their governments on the sly are always doing whatever it is that they want to do while interfering with other countries' governments, other countries' infrastructures, other countries' frameworks. Yeah, I think you people really need to sit down and reassess yourselves as countries, as people, because the way you people are going on, again, I, as I said, you will be your own destruction. You will be your own demise. And you're, you're welcome to that. You're free to do so. Yeah, I, I believe in that freedom. So uh, it's gone on now for long, but I mean, I hope you get the message right now. Because the thing that, again, I would say is that who cares? Who cares that the Intercept is exposing the fact that the ISI had already been questioned and had already responded to the Foreign Office regarding the cyber um, leakage and they had already asserted in August, they had asserted that no, there is no such case that can ever be made because there has been no leak because this it has nothing to do with the Secrecy Act because there has been no violation of Secrecy Act. Again. The whole of ISI is not a traitor. The whole of the establishment is not a traitor. Please do remember that we, when we're talking about the traitors, we're talking about the faction. Remember, these institutions are divided into two factions. Right from day one, we have always had two factions. Okay, you have the pro-US faction, which are which is the predominant faction, which is the one that is always taking control, and that is the one that was planted by the British. These are the traitors. And then we have got the other, the weaker faction, which is the pro-Pakistani faction, which were the people who really believed that this country, now that it has been made for whatever reason, that it needs to stand on its own and it needs to be free from all interference. But again, we have India and America that are acting like kindergarten bullies. And then we have Britain that is, you know, acting like the teacher who's turning a blind eye when actually the teacher is the one that is instigating the bullies. And then you have China and Russia that are obviously, obviously thinking about their, um, you know, the whole regional security because that concerns them directly. And we have Turkey that is, you know, that is the of Europe's biggest fear because the 100-year deal is over and now Turkey is going to emerge back into its old empowered uh, form, which it has already showed its power. So we've got Iran also that is, you know, uh, displaying its power. They have already screwed with Egypt, Syria, Lebanon, and Libya, and they have screwed with the Middle East, to be honest although on the surface it doesn't look like it, but they have screwed with the Middle East and they are screwing with Pakistan. But let me tell you one thing. Again, I would remind India, you are so stupid. You think that they are working with you, but at the end of the day, you are also their target. You think that they would be friends with you when they take over Kashmir, which you're so gladly preparing ground for. You know, you're actually trying to eliminate the Kashmiris and commit genocide and you are literally following Israeli footsteps and you think that this will enable you to be a, a, a huge power, a superpower in the near future. Yeah, in your dreams, because the minute they land on Kashmir, then India is toast as well.
keep that in mind okay just keep that in mind especially considering how the we have always respected indian government for one thing that they do not compromise with their national interests but over here i'm seeing a huge compromise with their national interests yes i am i am i think you people are not aware of it but i you know you're so stupid really but then this is a world filled with idiots isn't it if the world did not have all these idiots the world wouldn't be where it is today and this is me signing out Oh, sorry, before I sign out, yes, because before anybody complains, yes, Sher Marvat, uh, you know, has, Sher Abzal Marvat, he has been released. Now, here is another thing. Yeah, okay, sorry. This is important because his release now is, uh, you know, going to bring your typical twofold reaction. On one side, as you remember, he is a senior lawyer in his own right, too. So, yeah, I mean, on one side, you can say that, yeah, the, the courts probably realize that this is not a good idea because they've already gone against the whole country. And the one backbone that they have, you know, the one, uh, you know, although it's not much of a support anymore because the lawyers are completely against the courts as well. So but that one, you know, factor that they have that could help them keep a bit of their, you know, integrity, that is the lawyer's. And so if they start arresting all the lawyers, and now most of the lawyers are obviously pro-PTI, but if they start arresting these lawyers, especially these senior lawyers, who were, many of whom were first, or some of whom I should say, were first judges. So former judges turned lawyers, you know, um, when, when you disrespect them by arresting them illegally, um, then yes, this is something that you will not be able to bear the consequences of, number one. So after four days, he's being released now. But on the other side, you have this concern that, you know, now the PTI members will probably wonder that why is it that he got out of jail and so easily? And why is it that they are not putting more false charges against him and trying to arrest him again? And why is everything so peaceful? Now, remember, there is this old police stunt where they always, you know, try to um, trap their enemies by they pick, for example, they pick up one of the most trusted, the most vocal members of their enemies group, and then they hold them, and then they let them go um, to make it seem as if they have actually worked with them, that they've cooperated with them, and that is to instill suspicion amongst them, amongst their peers or amongst their you know members, so that they can question their integrity, and then that would force the enemy. Um, you know, the, the arrested person that would force him to, at the end, cooperate with the police. Now, this will never happen um, because Shermarod will never cooperate with the police in any case. So, number two, number two of this exact same entrapment plan is um, that, you know, you arrest them, you pretend uh, as if all is well, as if you're friends, as if you've cooperated, you let them go and the fact that you will let them go easily and not touch them again will make them highly suspect in the eyes of their fellow members or their peers. And then they will be, you know, made an outcast and you have basically winged them. You understand? So, again, you know, because the police has always done this. This is a very old tactic that they've always done. Now, um, yeah, so the PTI members will definitely be a little suspicious. They will hope to get an explanation from Sherbur with as to what happened. But I think uh, where the public is concerned, um, suspicion or not, they will still um, listen to Sherbur and he will still hold a position of importance. 
um, as a party member and as a very vocal party member. So there is that. So yeah, uh, in any case, this this might you know be a very cheap uh, theatrical entrapment laid out by the police. But you see, it would work because as I said, anything and everything that is done by the law enforcement agencies is only backfiring on them themselves. Because why? I mean, they are still keeping innocent females in jail and they are still rearresting them and rearresting them and rearresting them on false trumped up charges. Why? Because Maryam Nawaz, princess, who suddenly inherited the country from her mother, who couldn't even inherit a piece of land from her parents, Maryam Nawaz suddenly, uh, you know, has a, a personal, she has a personal problem with these women because they called her grandma. So, you know, because they called her grandma, so now she wants them in jail for as long as is possible. But you see, again, here you can see the difference between men and women, which is, you know, very predominant, um, that the women are still holding on to their principles. They're holding on to their uh, beliefs. They're, they are, you know, they are still not kneeling down. They're not, you know, they're not crumbling. They're not breaking down. Whereas the men, to save their asses, you know, as we saw Fawad Chaudhary and all, to save their asses, you know, they were doing a lot of things and they went against Imran Khan. They didn't stand their ground. They collapsed. But the women, the women who are supposed to be, you know, the fragile of the two sexes, the women who are supposed to be the weaker of the two sexes, as you can see, they're the ones who are winning the, 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 the you know, the war of nerves. They're the ones who are winning the brain games. You know, they're the ones who are winning the mind games. They are the ones who are standing true to their beliefs and their principles. They're the ones who are actually taking a stand and keeping that stand, including Khatija and Sanam Javed and everybody, you know, all the, all the women in jail. Um, and even Dr. Yasin. And so, I mean, all, all the women and the girls, you know, they are holding on um, as opposed to the men. Men who think of themselves as... Let me tell you one thing about men. This is something that is, by the way, if you read the Quran and if you read all the prophets' traditions properly, you will realize that God himself has basically called man the fitna of the earth. He's not called human beings the fitna of the earth. He's called man the fitna of the earth. Keep that in mind, okay? Because if you look at the world... Um, the whole global index, just check out the whole global index and you will see that the largest number of crimes, especially heinous crimes, of sex crimes, of drugs, of and of, you know, uh, when it comes to child pornography, when it comes to drugs, when it comes to human trafficking, when it comes to sex trafficking, when it comes to wars, when it comes to greed, when it comes to, you know, when it comes to uh, materialistic gains, when it comes to power, when it comes to any of these materialistic gains, um, you will see that it is man has, man makes the largest uh, number of criminals and perpetrators. So this is food for thought, really. This is food for thought. So the percentage of perpetrators and criminals in the world on a political level, on individual levels, on gang levels, on company levels, on uh, 
you know, on any level, really, the, the highest number of perps that you can record globally are males. And another thing, that's another thing I need to, you know, um, sort of correct that uh, assumption that people seem to have that there are more women than men in many countries. Actually, no. Even in Pakistan, where people always seem to think, I don't know why people thought that, you know, there are more women than men. Actually, there are more men than women in Pakistan even. Although we're almost equal, one could claim that our percentages are almost equal. But yeah, no, there are more men than women in Pakistan. Similarly, there are more men than women in India. Yes. And big surprise, there are more men than women in the Middle East. In fact, the gap is huge. Um, so... Yeah. Before you go around quoting uh, how women are more than men, keep that in mind. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe maybe a few decades ago, women may have been at a higher percentage than men in Pakistan. I don't know. But this is something I've been hearing for years. that don't think women, you know, comprise a larger percentage than men. But no, actually, sorry to burst your bubble, but men are more than women. Now, this is me signing out. You take care, everybody, because the cold, the sore throat, you know, I'm, I think you could hear it from my voice that it's as if, you know, my nose is blocked. <laughs> so, Khuda Hafiz.